Well, we're not live. It is being recorded. Yeah. Anything you say can and will be used against, against you in the court of law. Yeah. What's it? You have an, a right. You have a right to an attorney. And anything you can, anything you do say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Right. Then there's another one. You have right to something. Okay. Anyways, I don't remember the rest. Okay. So, your first podcast. The first cast. How are you feeling about yeah. it? First of many, right? Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Feel good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try to be, like, really real. Right? I am being real. Good, good. Yeah, don't, like, put on a show. Okay. I won't. It is weird, though, that, like, it's being recorded, right? It does change the way I think about things a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit weird. I'm, like, smiling a little bit. Like trying it's a to be bit awkward. L- trying to be less offensive than yeah. usual. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Oh well, should I try? I mean, probably. I would. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely. If I were you, I would try. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. So, are you ready for this? Yeah, I think so. What's our style? What's our style? Hmm. Mm, I don't know. I'm just being me. Okay. Who are you being? Me, but what's our style for this cast? Like we're gonna. Conversational. Just, yeah, we're gonna talk about stoicism. We're right? having a glass of wine and talking about stoicism. Yeah, and just see where it goes, right? I got some questions, yeah. but we don't have to stick to them, right? And we'll see where it takes us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. Don't thank me yet. True. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This could be a total mess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we could end up fighting or something, so... That'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's um, let's see if that actually works. Okay. Okay? Yeah. We'll pause this here. And we are back. <laughs> well, that was a entertaining break, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got new batteries, we're good to go. All right. We'll see how long these, these puppies last, let's, hey? Let's do this. Okay. So... Like to introduce you to our audience, whoever that may be. I think it's primarily your mother. Yeah. 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 Maybe, Maybe my mother. Who else? I don't know. Some people that love us that are, you know, will listen to us talk like this for a while. I don't, yeah. I don't know who else. There's yeah. about four people. Yeah. 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 Our cats for sure. Yeah. I mean, she's doing it right now. Okay. So, um, uh, you are Dr. Kirsten Klingle. Yes. Yes. And, um, you're my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you are my first uh, participant on the VVIN podcast. That's right. Yeah. How so lucky am I? So thank you so much for doing this with me and being the first one. And I have no idea how this is going to go, but I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So here we are on a lovely Saturday afternoon. Yes. Um, relaxed and ready to chat about stoicism and whatever else comes up. So before we chat about stoicism, it might be helpful for you to remind me and also the people listening, what is stoicism? Right. But first I I want to, I want to, um, get into your background, but we can do that afterwards. Yeah. So let's talk about what stoicism is because a lot of people might not know. And so I'll go first. Uh, I came across stoicism maybe 2015, you know, fallish or so. And uh, I think through Nassim Taleb, I was reading one of his books, like Fooled by Randomness. Mm -hmm. And he referenced a lot of ancient Stoics. um, And I was just like 
really intrigued with kind of the quotes he put in his book and decided to look into this. And, you know, I'm not religious right now, um, have been in the past, uh, just growing up as a kid, but mm -hmm. I'm not today. And um, I, you know, found a lot of values and, and other kind of guiding principles in how to live a great life in Stoicism. Mm -hmm. So um, after I, you know, found this through Nassim Taleb, I looked up all the original writers, the, the ancient Stoics, the great Stoics like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, um, Epictetus, and others, and pretty much read everything I could find on Kindle, because it's available for free, hmm. and spent like six months studying this. I thought I found a gold mine, and all this stuff was for free on Kindle. So six months later, um, I really thought I found something that's incredible and wanted to share it with everybody. And so I told my sister, I told my parents, I told you, and um, you know, since then it's just been a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it continues to be even more so today than ever before. Yeah. And so one day I was going for a run, and I was thinking of how do I, how do I reference Stoicism really quickly because for me it's a practical uh, philosophy of life. So how do I reference it really quickly when I need to bring it into my life? What is it all about? So I came up with this acronym, which is VVIN. And the first V is for virtues or values. So, you know, follow the right values or virtues. You know, what is important to you? What do you chase? What do you hold above all else? What is untouchable or what do you seek to be? Um, and to seek the right things versus the wrong things that may not lead to happiness, mm -hmm. that are empty. And then the next V is for negative visualization. So this is where you envision something you have, let's say your arms, and you say, well, what if I didn't have my arms? You know, how difficult would things be? And so if you go, if you do this for a little while, afterwards you end up really appreciating your arms. Mm -hmm. um, or whatever else it is, if it's a roof over your head or a meal or something you already have. So it just, it really allows, it's a great exercise for gratitude. and allows you to kind of go places and not be really shocked by things if they happen in the future because you've already kind of imagined losing them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the eyes for internalization. So this is um, where you focus only on what is in your control and nothing that is outside of your control. And this allows you to be more, uh, to seek tranquility and achieve it because you don't let things that are, let's say, fate, or, or outside of your control um, disturb you yeah. or irritate you. So if I was playing a game of tennis with a friend and he beat me, um, if I did my best, I tried my best, I wouldn't be upset even though I'm really competitive mm -hmm. because I did what is in my control and what I don't control is how good he is or mm -hmm. she is. Yeah. So if they beat me, that's okay. And if you know someone cuts you off in traffic, well, it's not your fault, don't let that bug you because you can't control it. It doesn't lead anywhere. Mm -hmm. And the N is for nature. So, you know, for me, um, nature and stoicism is really about being in line with your nature as whether it's a man or a woman or whatever you are, whether you're a cat or whatever kind of creature you are in this world, um, being in line with that, um, a human being. So, um, trying to strive to be in line with what we were brought on this, you know, what we were created to do, I guess, 
So this is a very, very challenging one, and I like exploring it. And there's a lot of different views you know, people have on this, so we'll get to your view on what nature means to you in Stoicism. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of different views on it. And then the other nature aspect is being in line with nature, as in seeking to you know, be outside, like literally in nature, versus stay cooped up all the time, um, to eat foods or, or drink drinks that are more natural than, than not. And so just doing things that are more natural is mm-hmm. kind of how to summarize that. Mm-hmm. So that's VVIN, and that's to me most of what Stoicism is. Okay. And um, it's been really helpful for me in my life to remember it, and I can draw upon it at any time using that acronym. Yeah. So that's you know how I remember it, and that's how I understand Stoicism. So really interested to know what you think about that and yeah. how you understand yourself to have come to practice stoicism, know about stoicism and those kinds of things. Yeah. So where do you want me to start? Well, how about your background? Mm-hmm. So, you know, people know you're a doctor, but if you tell us more, you know, what kind of doctor and um, give us a bit about your background and then maybe how you learned about stoicism. Okay, sounds good. So, um, where to begin? What a question. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to how to answer the question of my background, but I would say I'm my PhD is in psychology, um, and I'm someone who I think has always been interested in people, in the study of people, in what makes people tick, what makes people say and do the things they say and do and the relationship people have with one another and with themselves. And from a very early age, I remember feeling immense amounts of empathy for people that I didn't know. For example, seeing heartbreaking footage on the news of a mother who lost her child. Um, I remember as a little girl, like not more than six or seven, just feeling so much for that person, even crying, um, thinking about them. So. I think I'm someone who has naturally always been interested in pursuing people-oriented work, being in a profession that focuses on people. So I, um, during high school, I took some psychology courses um, and really enjoyed them. But more importantly, I enjoyed working with my friends, talking with my friends about their relationships, about how they were doing mentally, physically, psychologically. I always really would be quick to skip class to go with a friend to the nearby cafe to talk about what they were going through and that really gave me a sense of purpose. So I think again from a very early age I was doing the work of a psychologist in in informal ways. Um, But when I went to university I studied psychology as my undergrad and you know sort of along the way my in my youth got got a bit lost in what I wanted and how I wanted to get there. So my path is not a linear one, but um, after my degree in psychology, I went into education thinking maybe I want to be a teacher, but ultimately rediscovered my passion for, for psychology, ended up doing my master's and then my PhD. And much of my graduate research and graduate interest has been in the area of self-compassion and compassion and um, working with the experience of shame, whether that's um, shame about oneself, shame about one's body, shame about, you know, one's past. It's an area that's of of keen interest to me. So 
that's a bit about my bit of that's a little bit about my professional background but my personal background is what I what I think is important to share is that I've lived in Edmonton I've lived in Calgary I've lived in Houston I've had experiences with that relocation that sense of feeling a bit forlorn a bit lost um, but all that all those experience experiences have, have culminated in a better sense of self and a better sense of my own ability to connect with people and I'm married and I have two cats and I'm very fortunate in that I've got such a huge group of friends and people that I love so that also shapes who I am and, and my background as well anything else you want to know about that well, that is a lot of detail in your background maybe Thank maybe you. too much mm -hmm. no that's very good so um, how you know how did you come across stoicism how was it introduced into your life yeah well I think um, much like your intro that you just discussed your own journey to stoicism you Andrew are the one that introduced me to stoicism and I think just over time it sort of started to trickle its way into our conversations I remember you sitting down and reading the great works and being very inspired by it and kind of changing your perspective on some things finding a greater sense of groundedness and balance and so I think that inspired me to learn more about it and just wanting to take an active interest in your life of course it drew me to learn more about what you were learning about. So my relationship to Stoicism is not a very deep and long-standing one, but it is something that I have enjoyed learning more about through my readings of Marcus Aurelius and attending Stoic groups that you've been involved in, and just you and I having conversations, you supporting me through my life journey in very Stoic ways. So I would say most of what I've learned has been through your direct teachings or modeling. Very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I, I knew some of that. There was some stuff I didn't know. So mm -hmm. that was, it's helpful. Because, what didn't you know? Um, I, I mean, nothing, I can't say anything specific that stands out, but just there was maybe more detail on certain things that I kind of knew, but, and that I assumed, but it's good to have more detail on them. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so do you know any practicing Stoics like in your life or anybody you know except for me? No, no one that I, that I know that is actively practicing. I think Stoicism is kind of misunderstood in a lot of ways. So, um, and it's not always the most accessible in terms of the writings. It's quite pedantic and um, often uses English terminology that we may not be familiar with. So I don't think it's something that a lot of people have like a phenomenological experience with, like a lived experience with. Maybe it's something they heard about in philosophy class or they've heard someone described as stoic, which is taken to mean someone that shows no emotion. But I don't know that it's something a lot of people have firsthand experience with. Yeah, yeah, and, and I totally agree. I haven't run into many people mm -hmm. or any at all that are practicing stoics outside of the group that we go to Yeah. or meet up. Um, and that it's definitely misunderstood, you know, when I tell people, hey, you know, I'm into stoicism, um, they're just like, oh yeah, I kind of heard about that, or maybe heard about it in school, but in more of like, you know, philosophy class, where they don't necessarily talk about, you know, the practical teachings, exactly. it's more just very theoretical, mm -hmm. rather than, hey, how does this help me live my life today? Right. So, yeah, there aren't 
many, but it, I feel like it's becoming more popular. I mean, we have Ryan Holiday out there in Austin that's done an incredible job um, making stoicism more popular, and he kind of started doing this around the time I found stoicism. So I find that really helpful. The Daily Stoic is an incredible thing. You know, everyone should sign up if you haven't heard of it. Uh, DailyStoic.com. So he's done a really good job. Uh, outside of him, though, I'm not aware of anyone else that uh, is is really big in the space. You know, you have a lot of good authors out there that have kind of written their own summaries of Stoic teachings, but aren't doing a lot in terms of progressing the movement, at least that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. So. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm kind of jumping on that ship of I'd like to progress this movement and uh, not necessarily do what, you know, Ryan's doing, but something different. And this is still, you know, becoming what it will be. I'm not sure what it's going to turn into, but I'm really excited about the future of this. Yeah. So um, what role does Stoicism play in your life? So, you know, it's, you know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about it sometimes. I bring it up, but... Does it enter your life, you know, day to day? And if so, how? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, reflecting back on um, the values and virtues, as well as the negative visualization, I see it sort of manifesting in two ways. Like, first, when it comes to values and virtues, as I mentioned, I'm in psychology. And um, one of the things I try to do in my life, my day to day life, is if I'm experiencing any type of adversity, is to try to reflect it back onto my practice as a psychologist and to ask myself or to remind myself that any experience with my own discontent or distress or anxiety is an opportunity to become greater connected to my clients. And so kind of what I mean by that is the clients that walk through my office inevitably will have had experiences of distress and anxiety and unknowns where they're navigating difficult life circumstances. And so whenever I'm experiencing something in my own life that's difficult or hard to manage, I think to myself, this is a great opportunity to get more information, get more experience so that I can better understand my clients' experiences. So that's something that I really, in terms of a value, I value my work and I value my role as a helper. And because of that, I think, I enter my own life experiences with a sense, a greater sense of curiosity in trying to really collect experiences so as to better understand the human experience. Um, I also see it manifesting in terms of the negative visualization in kind of ways that I don't necessarily plan, but to give you an example, um, sometimes when I'm say at home with my pet, I will think about what life would be like if they weren't around. And so I'll, I'll go through this sort of little cognitive exercise where I think about, you know, them running away and what life would be like and what I would miss about them. And in fact, as a little girl, I used to do something similar when I was young, brushing my teeth. I used to have this evening ritual, this evening practice where I would think about like losing a parent. And that sounds like such a depressing demoralizing way to be as a young child but what it always did is give it gave me such a deep and profound um, reverence for and appreciation for my parents and it would really help me tap into like that feeling of what it would be like to lose them and I think that helped bring me greater closeness to them greater appreciation for what they did for me each day 
So, so you were already, it seems like, practicing some of these stoic principles, um, you know, not knowing it as a kid. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, now that I'm talking about it, I guess I was. It, I guess looking back, I always thought it was such a depressing way to be as a young child. And maybe maybe there's something clinically to it as well. But I think more than anything, it's just it's being appreciative of the things we have and recognizing the, the fragility of, of the human experience. Yeah. And I mean, it seems so simple and so straightforward and, and just like a no brainer. Yeah. But do we do this all the time? Right. I know that I don't. Yeah. And I know when I do, I really, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm so happy I did that. So it's, uh, it's something, you know, I find, these principles and these practices are something that you need to stay on top of every day mm. for it to be to for you to become to progress in it yeah and to move along and, and for it to be meaningful in your life it's not something that you just read about it's something you have to practice and not just practice once a day you practice it every day all day and if you do that you know for me that's the ultimate goal mm -hmm. it's not to be perfect there's no way to achieve an end yeah there's no perfect stoic out there it's about becoming better yourself and becoming and practicing it more often and if you do that the idea is that you will achieve tranquility so the idea is that the ultimate good in stoicism that it's that it's a journey not a destination exactly yeah exactly yeah. it's about the everyday it's not mm -hmm. about getting somewhere and saying I'm done I, I did all the things, I've learned all the things, I passed the course, and now I'm a stoic. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing, it's, it's an everyday practice. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you in the sense that I think there is opportunity every day to look, to look at some of these principles and to, to practice them actively. Although that's an immense amount of responsibility, it is also like a great, a great honor too. To have, yeah. a, to have a privileged existence in so much as we have the time and the capability and the freedom to be able to think these ways, right? We're not, you know, to pull from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we're not necessarily struggling from moment to moment in terms of trying to have food, water, shelter. Um, so that affords us the opportunity to be able to think about these bigger um, ideas, these kind of big philosophical ideas. Yeah, I mean, the most important one, right? how to live a good life yeah as a human being yeah right because there's so many distractions out there and all these things of you know these number one these kind of false virtues that get us chasing wrong things that don't actually make us happy mm -hmm. and are not in line with you know what our nature is yeah. what a human being's nature is it's not to chase materialism and things and you know it's not to be consumers that's not what human beings are yet you know a lot of things draw us into that world today mm -hmm. so it's, it's about thinking about our world mm -hmm. so you know would you say stoicism has helped you live a better life and if so how i mean i don't think like my readings of stoicism have helped me live a better life but i think the things that i've innately been doing that I now know to be stoic in nature have helped me live a better life. Um, so I think to answer the question of how, I think it helps, it, it's being, developing a stoic mindset has helped me persevere through difficult life circumstances 
with the intentionality of it being for something. That everything is for something. So the struggle that I endure, say, in trying to get through a PhD, that is that is for my clients. That is for them because it will give me greater understanding of what it means to struggle with things like motivation and competitiveness and feelings of defeat and a sense of you know listlessness all of those experiences are grist for the mill and that they help me be a better practitioner be a better human be a better partner be a better you know sibling and daughter so that's one example of how I see it manifesting and how I see it being of use to me and I think helping me stay calm under pressure too being able to recognize that um you know, that there's there's learning to be had in all of it. And I think that helps me stay focused and stay calm in moments of difficulty. Mm-hmm. So you've, it sounds like you've found a lot of value in it and in indirect and direct ways it's influenced your life. Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately you're, you're better for it. Yeah. For knowing about this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So... You obviously have a background in psychology, yeah. doctorate um, in philosophy, I guess, right? Technically, yeah. So do you think that having a background in psychology helps you better understand stoicism than, say, someone like me or someone else that does not have a similar background? I don't think it helps me better understand. I think if you're a human being and you take the time and have the curiosity to understand the stoic philosophy, then everyone is able to in their own way understand it's such an interpretive process right certain people are going to pick up certain things and other people won't right yeah and it's exactly it is it's so different for everybody so you know I, I don't necessarily I don't think the best way to learn is to read people's summaries about it I think the best way to learn is to read the originals the original texts you know Seneca Marcus Aurelius Epictetus to read them yourself and see what you draw from it yeah and see what your interpretation of what they're saying is because that'll be very different from someone else yeah like I would agree I, I remember recently reading um, a work by Marcus Aurelius and um, in particular book 10 and book 11 of meditations and a lot of the some of the concepts that were being brought up really resonated for me in terms of modern day psychology so for example some of the concepts related to mindfulness or even cognitive behavioral therapy where you're further delineating and further trying to explore your own experience of rationality and groundedness so i think it's not so much that i can better understand but i think i see i see stoicism through a lens of psychology and i recognize the potential applicability of some of the concepts some of the some of the the works some of the readings in such a way that they contribute to well-being and wellness and things of that matter yeah so so it sounds like it's it's not like you have an advantage it's more that you're just seeing the parallels between stoicism and and psychology and how it can help you in your practice and you're just kind of you know connecting the dots there yeah i don't think anybody has an advantage over another and how they interpret this work because this work is so human so arguably, if you are a human, you have, this will resonate for you on some level and it will resonate for people differently depending on their background, depending on their experience. The operative word being differently, not better than, but simply what you take as illuminating for you 
is just as valid as what I take as illuminating for me, although those two things may be very different. Right, right. So yeah, there is no truth in you know a writing, uh, in a piece of writing. It is very different for whoever reads it and how they interpret it. Absolutely, and I think sometimes we, you know, we get we 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 think we know the true meaning of the text, right? And it's important to remind ourselves that. All of this, all of this is an interpretation. It's an interpretive act. And it reminds me of some of the work of the philosopher Gadamer, Hans George Gadamer, who wrote about hermeneutics and the interpretive process and the the hermeneutic circle being like, I'm putting out information that I understand and you're interpreting it from your own lens. And it becomes this vicious, not this vicious circle, but this continual circle wherein I'm I'm understanding something from my experience, and you're understanding it from your experience, and that's what make the wake. That's what makes the wheels of understanding turn. But we're all coming at it from our own perspective, and so I think there's something a little bit dangerous about saying, "No, no, I know the true meaning. I know the true works of what Marcus Aurelius was trying to convey." When simply we're all going to take something from it in a very different way, and that's co- that's okay. That's valid. That's wonderful. In fact, right. I totally agree. And um, yeah, the, speaking of interpretations, I mean, what we are reading are interpretations of the original work, which was written in different languages. Yeah. So it's already a derivative of the actual, of the underlying of the original work. Mm-hmm. So what we see is already an interpretation. Yeah. And then we have our own interpretation. There are many different interpretations out there. And, yeah. Um, you know, I found that Seneca, um, his work, Letters uh, from Stoic, is by far the one that I am best able to understand. And I don't know if it's the the translation that makes sense to me or what it is, but I find it a lot easier to understand than Marcus Aurelius' um, meditations yeah. or other Stoics. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's important to, you know, everyone will have someone that makes more sense to them or they connect with far more so. And that's that's okay because, and these guys, you know, existed sometimes many hundreds of years apart. And so Stoicism was evolving and, and but ultimately today it's the core ideas are all there and they're all the same, which is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's important to explore all of the all of the different uh, Stoics and the writings and see what you connect with. So this is a good opportunity for us to take a little uh, little break. And we will come back after we do what we need to do. Fill up our wine glasses. And go to the washroom. And scratch our kitty's uh, belly by the fire. Okay, so we're back. Mm-hmm. It's a much needed uh, respite, right? Yeah. From our trials here. <laughs> so, um, you know, next thing I want to ask you is what are the Stoic teachings you find most valuable? Hmm. Well, I like, I really like the notion of living in line with your nature. And that's something that I think I try to bring about in my life in various ways. For example, like even with something as simple as nutrition, trying to ask myself, you know, is this, is this thing that I'm about to consume? Is this firstly what like will do my body good? Is it something that my body can process? So for example, having some carrots and hummus versus having 
a bag of potato chips. And while I certainly have potato chips at times, you know, trying to ask myself like whether what I'm doing is in line with my my nature, with my with what's going to nourish me on a cellular, physiological, emotional level. Right, and I love that because um, some people, you know, I've talked to in, in, in our meetup and stuff about, you know, how I understand nature, you know, they never thought of this aspect of trying to live more naturally. Mm-hmm. For them, it was, you know, more theoretical of like, what does nature mean? And I like this practical aspect of actually trying to be in line with nature and like what you consume, right? Is this a natural product or is this not a natural product? And letting that guide some of your decisions, right? So totally agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing that's helpful for me is negative visualization. And um, as I mentioned earlier, that was something that I did as a little girl. And it's something I still find myself doing um, when I think about even you, for example, like how much I love you and what life would be like without you. Like it's a very dark place to take yourself to, but I let myself go there sometimes in an effort to really better appreciate all that you bring to my life. And in fact, I think even one time we were out for dinner and we were just having a really off day. I think we were just in the process of moving. I was just in the final stages of studying for my final registration for licensure. Like it was just a really overwhelming time in our life. And we were out at dinner and um, both kind of in a funk. And you said something to me, something to the effect of like, what would your life be like if I wasn't in it? And I think it was a means of just trying to rattle up, rattle me a bit to sort of appreciate who you are and what you bring. But it like it shook me on a very deep level, and was this such an important invitation for me to reflect on all that you do and all that you are and all that you bring to my life. And it it started with kind of that notion of a negative visualization to say like imagine what what your life would be like if I wasn't in it, if you didn't have to deal with these this the frustrations of the day with me. And I just, in that moment, felt nothing but love for you, nothing but profound, like deep gratitude for who you are and all that you are. So I think it's something, negative visualization is something that plays an important role in, in my life as well. Right, so those are two from VVIN, right? Nature and one of the ends for yeah. negative visualization. So yeah, I mean, I think those are incredible and I would definitely agree that those are very valuable to me. I would say that all four of them are, you know, I wouldn't say equally, but very close to equally valuable for me. Um, so the one you're missing was the virtues. So what is it that you hold, you know, above oh, right. anything else? And what is it that guides your your life in terms of what you seek, what you chase, right? Um, and then the other one was, um, was uh, internalization, which I find very, very important in what I let, you know, into my world to worry about, to upset me. Um, and that's been like super helpful, um, in just making, aligning me with, you know, with what I shouldn't trouble myself with and worry myself with, because a lot of our, you know, a lot of, most of our worries, 99%, um, do not come true and our fears, you know, do not come true. So we spend a lot of our life in worry and in fear for things that do not actually materialize. So if we could somehow spend less time in those states, we would be far better off. So that's the goal of, of internalization. So w- those are the ones you find most valuable. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, what about the ones that you find that are, you know, hardest to understand? Well, that's a good question. I think the first one that comes to mind, and in fact, like the main one that comes to mind for me is the notion, is the, the principle or the, the, the notion of amor fati, which I believe translated, correct me if I'm wrong, is to love your fate. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it. So this idea that when things happen in our life that are outside of the realm of our control, rather than fight it, learn to love it. Yes, exactly. So not just accept what happens to you, but love it. Yeah. And that's one that I think I see a lot of value in, for sure. A lot of value in that. The trouble I have is the word love. And I think that's the hard thing for me. To give you an example, like I work with clients who, some of some of whom have experienced very difficult life circumstances, a lot of adverse childhood events, things that happened that were beyond their control, and things that um, contribute to their own sense of, of distrust and um, distress and mental health concerns. And I think there's something a little bit flippant um, in the in the the statement of love your fate. For example, I, that would be highly insensitive for me to say to a client. Well, let's let's figure out a way that you can learn to love what's happened to you. I think acceptance is one thing, but love is something that I really believe may happen over time, but probably not until the end of one's life when you can really look back and recognize the value that's come from that. But I just think it's a it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one to get behind fully. Because to love your fate for some may mean you love the fact that your child has perished or you learn to love the fact that you have terminal cancer or you learn to love the fact that your family was shot up in a you know, Syrian bombing. Like all of these things that are so difficult and tragic and traumatic that I think it's a big ask. It's a big, it's a big thing to to invite someone to love that. Right. I couldn't agree more. I think just, you know, in the examples you brought up, saying, you know, accepting your fate, that's what what is potentially an okay ask. That is that is reasonable to say, look, this happened to you, we can't change it. Let's accept it. But yeah, the next level is to love it. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree this is um, you know, I wouldn't say this for me is hardest to understand. This would be hardest to apply. Well, I think understanding, you're right. I think, I don't mean it's cerebrally difficult to understand because it, it's pretty simple. It's pretty basic, but it's difficult to understand in a, in a lived sense, to understand it and practice it, like you say. Right. How do we, how do we understand it and apply it? Yeah. Like in our world today. And believe it. And believe it. That's the other thing we can say on the surface. Yeah, no, I love that I've that I had this accident because it brought me more greater connection to my appreciation for my body, as an example. But that's to really love it deeply is that's that's a pretty big that's a big ask, as you say. Right, and so of of all the you know, and I find this you know it doesn't fit into VDIM, but it is kind of in you know, fits into the virtues and kind of, you know, I find this is one of my virtues is to love my faith. It's a value I hold very strongly and it's the one that is most challenging for me to practice day to day. And, um, you know, I, I remember 
there was a couple weeks ago, I cut my finger when I was, you know, uh, chopping some vegetables. You were definitely cutting cheese, let's be honest. You were definitely slicing some cheese. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I cut my finger and, you know, I was just like, of course, you know, as, as we all do, I was saying, oh, why did this have to happen? Why wasn't I more careful? Now my finger is bleeding. I have to have a band-aid. Maybe I can't lift weights for like the next week. Like what a nuisance that this happened. That's the first thing that went through my mind. And then, of course, you know, my mind runs to, okay, how can I, how can I love this? How can I say, not only do I accept that my finger is cut, but how do I say, no, I do not wish for my finger to not be cut. I, I love that my finger is cut and I would change nothing. And I tried to get there and it actually helped. It helped me cope with, I'm going to have some struggles for the next week as my finger heals. Um, so it did help. I didn't reach, you know, the point where I loved it and was just ecstatic about my finger being cut, but I made a little bit of progress and that's all we can ask for is just to continue to practice that and make a little bit of progress. But there was one instance where you were incredible at practicing amorphatic. Ooh, tell me. I love feedback. Let's hear it. So, Especially uh, positive feedback. Yeah. So I'm, I was so impressed and also incredulous at how you were able to do this because I would have wanted to have this reaction. So this was, you know, first <laughs> week of August this year, we just moved into our new place and you know, we were having some pizza inside and, and all of a sudden we heard some, some hail coming down. And these were like golf ball sized, you know, hail bits coming down. We looked at them in their backyard and, and first thing that went through my mind is our, you know, two new vehicles are outside and I could see them out of our front window and they're about to be destroyed. And our garage is not paved, so we can't put our vehicles in the garage. So I was, I felt helpless and I could see our vehicles outside, you know, right across the street being parked there and about to be destroyed by these like golf sized balls of hail. And you know, two minutes later, yeah, it got even worse and it was coming down so hard. And I was just, you know, sitting there with you, losing my mind saying like, oh my God, you know, what are we gonna do? Um, our vehicles are gonna be completely destroyed right now. We can't do anything about it. And you were so calm. You were so calm. And I think you looked at me and tried to calm me down and said, we can't do anything about this. So this is practicing internalization is we can't do anything about this. So let's not let this bother us and let's accept whatever happens happening. Mm -hmm. So you were doing internalization and amorphatic. So I've, that was so impressive. So I want you to tell me about how you were able to do that in that moment. Well, yes, I remember that experience very vividly and what you didn't mention is that we had just moved into our new house or maybe you did mention that but we had just moved into our new house like we'd been in our house for maybe a matter of days and i think actually uh we moved in that day this was like four hours after we moved in you're right actually yeah. you're right we had just moved in that day so i think for me i saw the hail happen outside and i saw you getting really upset and distressed about that and I had this moment where I thought to myself, yeah, like we're not going to run outside. There's no other option for our vehicles other than to be parked where they're parked. And so I came to that place first of acceptance, just that, okay, this is what's happening. 
And then I came to a place of thinking, you know what, if this is happening to my vehicle, this is happening to everyone else's vehicles. So there's something about it that made me feel a sense of greater connectedness to other people in our neighborhood, other people in our city that were going through something similar. So that was the first thing, is I felt like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Other people are going to have similar narratives, similar stories about how their vehicles got dented. But then the second thing that brought me to a place of like a more fatty of loving my fate is the fact that I thought to myself, if I do have any dents in my vehicle, it's going to be a reminder forever of the day we moved into our new house and the pizza that we were eating and the joy that I felt in being in a space that was safe and comfortable and spacious with the love of my life. Like, wow, what a way to commemorate this day. It's unfortunate that it's in the form of dents in my vehicle, but it's a memory nonetheless. And my vehicle is just that. It's my vehicle. It's not my child. It's not my spouse. It's not a family member being hurt. So I just felt like, yeah, you know what? I can I can give over to to the idea that there's this was there was power in this. There was purpose in this and find some meaning in it in some way. So that is the exact, you know, way that I would think that more fatty would encourage you to to react and how to how to get this through your head of, of how to understand this and actually you know not in some weird you know deranged way to love something that's horrible but to actually think about the ways that this could be positive and kind of reframe it in your own mind and um, this is this is how we we should approach these kinds of things is how can we reframe it to be a positive and sometimes you can do what you just did is you know this could be this can be commemorative of, of our time and you know we can't do anything about it it's a connection to everyone else and sometimes you know that wouldn't make sense depending on the situation but I think what's important to think about is that we think we know what's good and what's bad for us for other people for the world and maybe maybe we don't because, you know, not everything follows the logic that we believe uh, it should follow or it would follow. So maybe I think that, you know, my car being super dented by hail is a horrible thing. But ultimately, what if, you know, my car is dented with hail and I have to go and, you know, get it repaired. And when I go to that repair shop, I meet somebody that I wouldn't otherwise have met. And this changes the course of my life. So these are the things that if something were to change, kind of like the butterfly effect, it would it would change everything. So you don't know about it, but it's a good thing. You, it might not make sense in the moment. Yeah, I really like that way of thinking. And I, I think what that does is it sets you up to look for opportunities, look for positives, look for things you may not otherwise, opportunities of gratitude that you may not otherwise be looking for. So it sets our mind up in a way to be to be focused on some of the strengths, on the positives. I guess from a psychological perspective and someone who believes in the importance of recognizing and honoring and expressing emotion, I think it's important to also firstly acknowledge like, this sucks, my car is being dented. This is a terrible, this is a terrible ordeal and I wish this wasn't happening. And that, and being able to honor that and being able to voice that and feel into that and not, not, feel as though you have to rush to reframe in a positive way 
to first give yourself a moment to say, oh, I'm struggling. This is hard. This is hard right now. And then allow yourself the opportunity. Because I think if we miss that, that chance to acknowledge the emotion behind the experience, we do ourselves a disservice. Right. And I think that's really helpful. Um, and you definitely brought some psychology into that answer, which I think is really helpful. I'm for, a nerd. Right. Me too. But helpful for, for people to understand it's okay to not go there as your number one reaction. It's okay to feel that this is horrible, but the, the whole point is to then switch over to how you can reframe this in your head. But it's totally natural to not feel that in the moment of, oh, this is so incredible. My car is being destroyed. That's not natural. Absolutely. And I think giving ourselves permission to feel whatever we feel. And in doing that, it frees up some emotional and cognitive energy to be able to reframe. Right? That's how I like to think about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember at the very end of that, so when the hailstorm ended, you know, three minutes later, um, you were, you know, you had this like, this little grin on your face and you're like, I'm going to go see what happened. So you ran outside and you checked both of our vehicles and then you came back in and you said do you want the good news first or the bad news and i think i said i want the good news first and you said that our vehicles are completely fine and then the bad news is that i was distraught and losing my mind for no reason at all and this totally leads into you know this fear and anxiety and things that we can't control worrying us. And so I spent, you know, five, six minutes being very distressed and anxious about what may be happening to my car. I didn't know if it was for sure. And this happens to us all the time. It happens to me often is where, you know, I think about things that might be happening or could happen and let them worry me in the present. Whereas most of the time those worries are totally unnecessary. And so if we could allow us to only be distraught by the things that actually happen rather than the things that might happen, we could achieve tranquility and perhaps be happier more, more of the time. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. I also think my reaction was extremely adorable and I would like it on the record that you agree. I was very cute in my playful response. It was incredible. <laughs> you, you blew my mind on two different levels for sure. Excellent. That's what I'm in the business of. So hardest to understand, you're saying a more fatty. Yeah, but even now as we're talking it through, I'm like, maybe it's not the hardest to understand. Maybe maybe there's something to it. Maybe 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 there's opportunity to continue to lean into that a bit more. So maybe it's the hardest to apply. Yeah. Okay. So would you add would you maybe switch that up with something another one that's harder to or harder to understand or Oh, I think I think that that's sort of I'll leave it there yeah it feels like a good place to to leave off would there be another one that you would mention that's hard to apply hmm mm. like there's another one memento mori and you know this one is remember you will die yeah right and, and so I would I wouldn't say this is hard to apply because yeah you know it's pretty straightforward. Remember, you will die. But I think the hard part is how does that change anything, right? So, we, yes, we can remind ourselves that we are not here forever and we will die and everyone we know will also. But 
if we do not allow that to change our behavior or thoughts, then it doesn't do much. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I think, I think if you live every moment of every day with the notion that someday you may die, then let's be honest, I wouldn't go to work because if I'm going to die later today, I'm going to go out and have an awesome time with my friends and family. Right. And, and so there's, there's some interesting thoughts on this one. And I think there's something that I, I've heard before that helps me practice this is, you know, the idea of mortality or remembering you will die. Um, Memento Mori is more about, it's not to change the decisions that you make in your day. So not to say, oh, I'm going to die tonight. I'm going to just, you know, eat chips and watch movies and go rob a bank or something. It's more to change your mindset as you do all the things that you would normally do in a day. So how would it change your mindset? So let's say, you know, I, I see you before I go to work. Um, maybe I have a different way that, you know, I'm present when I'm saying, bye, I'm going to work. Well, definitely. Maybe I look at you differently. I'm still going to go to work though. The point is I'm not going to stay home from work, but I'm going to go to work. And maybe on my way to work, you know, I'm more purposeful in paying attention to my surroundings, um, my thoughts. Is that kind of why sometimes when you leave for work, you are a bit teary eyed when you're saying goodbye to me? Because like that's happened where I'm pretty sure you're on the verge of tears. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, okay. I've done that. So you're in that moment of being like, this could be my last day. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, I, I bring that into my world often. And, and the thing is, I would still go to work, but at work, maybe you'd be your best. You know, maybe I am more friendly to people because I want to be remembered as a friendly guy or kind or whatever it is, but it almost forces you to be your best self. Because you're like, this is my last day, and I'm not changing the events of my day, but I'm changing how I am during those events. I like that. That's a great, great way to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's memento mori. So it doesn't have to be dark. It, it just allows you to live more fully. I find. It doesn't sound like it's dark at all. In fact, it sounds like it's light. It sounds like there's levity in that, that it creates opportunity for making different choices. Yeah. Precisely. So we've covered a lot of ground here. We have. And um, there's so much more to talk about. And we've just, you know, done surface level on kind of some of the key topics in Stoicism. Um, there's definitely going to be more conversations. I hope to, you know, be able to interview you again. Well, and I do live in the same house as you. So you know where to find me. Yes. But you are busy, yes. so I'll have to convince you to come back. Um, and especially with your background in psychology, it's very helpful and very unique. Bring a lot of unique perspective. So appreciate you being the first one. And uh, this was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Thanks for doing it. Good job. It's been really fun. I've Thank enjoyed you. the conversation. Good. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. I think it's time to go, Robert. Kitty's belly again. <laughs> okay, we're signing off.